Van, welcome to the conversation of everything that's neurodivergent and adding spirituality into it. So bring a little wisdom, spread a little information to us. Well, thank you and good morning. I, I didn't, I, I just joined because I wanted to watch and listen. I, I didn't mean to intrude on anybody's conversation this morning, but it they go hand in hand from my experience being being somebody who is open and understanding and actually welcoming of their neurodivergence um, opens up a whole new world of thought. And in that world of thought, it opens up that world of spirituality. And, you know, I walked away from organized religion and Christianity years ago. Um, and in, in that journey, um, have discovered more of that spiritual, you know, that spiritual journey. Um, and having come from a Buddhist mother, um, you know, that brings the philosophy to it. And it just all became clear and apparent, like literally one day. And in, in that one moment of clarity, it completely changed that, that journey and that path. And it made it so understanding and acceptance of neurodiversity also um, opened up a whole new world of, and for me, it's question and learning in this journey, right? Because spirituality to me is a very new concept um, to which I'm very open um, because I am because I am learning and I am loving the learning and loving the opportunity to bring in this information, which is why people like you um, make it so fun and interesting. So, you know, I, I like to put the two together and it so happens a lot of people that I've connected with in the, in the neurodivergent community um, are also very spiritual um and it's because it is philosophical right and it's because it is philosophical that we're able to actually have very vibrant and quite informative discussions um around it which make it quite the opposite of everything else right where things get heated and, and debate this is not heated debate this is actually conversation this is enlightenment this is a journey of conversation and thought that is something that she's not used to and i love it <laughs> so um, I'll say that and, and, and uh, shut up for a moment and let this conversation go where it goes. Well, um, it's, it's going to have to, I'm not sure how long my life. I don't want it to just end. I want everybody to be able to um, bring something to the, this table as we close this, right? Um, I know for me, the reason why it is very important that I understand autism and it was never anything that I was diagnosed with when I was a kid. I don't think I'm on the spectrum. I don't know. I, I've never presented anything in a dramatic, a dramatic way that somebody would say, hey, you need to go figure out. But here's, here's me. This is what I bring to me. And Peter knows me. I believe that all of humanity is on a spectrum. The people that think that they're the, the small group of people that think that they're not on the spectrum and they're perfect whole and healthy are the ones that are diagnosing everybody else as you know being on the spectrum not being perfect uh um you know whether it's adhd or add or you know you know even people with Tourette's, everything is wrong with them and we've got to you know either medicate them or make make them feel uh, very inadequate about how they see and how their brain um, collects data and then uh, 
uh, and then how uh, they receive data and then how they transmit it. Something must be wrong with them. I think it's the other way around. I think that a lot of people that think they're in a perfect position to, uh, to uh, judge other people in this being, this diversity of seeing something so, uh, so colorful or as black and white as, you know, hey, this is this and this is how I got to it. They don't have to tell you what was in the middle of how they got to it. They, they can see it, right? They don't have to do the formula of calculus to tell you that it equals 1,000,000, whatnot. If that shocks other people, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, hey, uh, for example, my brother can do math in his, in, in his head. He doesn't have to do the formula. I'm a person that I have to do the formula to, you know, get the answer. And then I can go, oh, see, I did it this, this, and this way. And, and it makes sense. He did it all in his head. And the teachers used to say, no, no, no. You can't give me the answer. You have to show me how you got there. But for him, it was easier that it was all in his head. And, and he did it. But no, you're doing it the wrong way right it's so for me it's like okay i'm finally understanding it but it took me to understand that because my grandchildren are have been diagnosed autistic between the ages of, of my younger grandchildren between the ages of two and seven you see what i mean so this interests me because i need to know how to communicate with my grandchildren because i want to be an extensive part of their life and i you know, so I, I need to find out if the people in their lives that have diagnosed them, the things that they're doing, I want them to get the best. I want them to have the most glorious life possible. And I want to know if they're getting it the right way. How do I know that? It's only by talking to people who have, have been diagnosed, adult people who have been diagnosed on the spectrum and say, well, if I had it when I was a kid, had they brought this to me in this way, I would understand it better. I would, I would, uh, I would be able to have more, I would be able to use my chakra voice more. Do you know what I mean? And so that's why this is very, very important to me. Yeah. Um, if, if I may, and I would like to ask my new friend also to jump in um, on this because this is going to open up a whole new can of worms that I'm going to try to avoid since I know you're probably coming to the end. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Um, the best way for you, and I'm saying this as a family member, um, you know, and them as young children, uh, to, to make sure that you're handling it the right way, mm -hmm. is we have all been taught you know, back, back when I was in school, you know, long, long ago when things were still in black and white, right? Um, but at the time, nobody knew what neurodivergency was, yeah. right? So going back then to where we are today, there's one big thing that has perpetuated over the years with that stereotype, which is that thing called masking. And that thing called masking, we have forced as a society onto neurodivergent children and then to adults. And the, the problem with masking is 
We are not taught masking so that we can live a better life, so that we can be more comfortable. We're taught masking so that we can make everybody around us feel comfortable. And it brings up a label called normalcy, right? What is normal? Well, normal is something that neurotypical people have created as a label and as a box. Normal doesn't exist. I'm sorry, but everybody on this no. planet is abnormal, and let's just leave it at that. So what we need to teach our children on the spectrum, our young children on the spectrum, whether it's autism or ADHD, um, you know, bipolar disorder, whatever it may be, what we need to tell them and teach them is that they're normal. What we need to teach them is that they are just like everybody else. They're different, right? Just like everybody. And that we have to embrace it and that we have to support it and we have to nurture it. And we have to, you know, um, like I was saying yesterday, the thing about neurodivergent youth, the thing about neurodivergent children is that they have that unique superpower that the neurotypical people do not have. They can do things like math in their head. We'll show your work. I can't. I can do it here. I was the same way. I was accused of being a cheater all through school because I could not show my work. I hate That's my partner. Yeah. I hate math. And my older son. Yeah. And, they're, and they're amazing at math. So. Right. And, and most neurodivergent people, believe it or not, might be good at math, but they hate it. I, and one of the reasons they hate it is because they're taught to hate it because they can't show their damn work. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, so I just didn't like math full stop. <laughs> I'm curious when it comes to math, if that also might be like a spiritual thing, like our knowing, because that's also another thing that it could be as well. Exactly. I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I was never diagnosed. Back, okay, back when I was a kid, way back in the dinosaur times, <laughs> yeah. um, there, were, there weren't any diagnosis of anything but i do know that when i would do book reports see back then i'm going to just say it 66 solar returns all right so i was born 1957 i grew up in the 60s and the 70s so you know there were no you know they were trying to figure out how to teach kids back you know kind of trying to you know they were you know skateboarding and not skateboard at well as I call it. Um, but when I would do, I love reading. I did love reading um, until I started having to do uh, book reports until I had to start speaking in front of the class until I had to do the, the, uh, the, the cue cards to give to the teacher of what I was going to say. And then when I wouldn't stay on on point with the cue cards, then I was, you know, uh, my grade, uh, you know, the grade dropped, or I was told I wasn't paying attention, or I didn't really read the information because I would wing it. I would, I would just go with the flow of 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 two things. I would go with the flow that was within me of what I read and what I wanted to give to give to the room, and then I would go on the basis of what the energy was in the room, how excited the kids were, or if they looked too bored, I would change a word or whatnot. And I was always written off. I would always go, oh, well, that was a, you know, a B, but I'm going to give you a B minus because you didn't do the cards. You know, you didn't stay on, on, on point. 
right? Or we did something to elaborate on another part of the project that was only supposed to be like, um, like a side note of something, yeah. and then yeah. the actual <laughs> part of the report that we were supposed to do, we kind of like overlooked that, and we focused on the one part in the book or that one part in the story that we really liked. Yeah, as, as well. I done art at college, and they said to me, "You've got to write down your process, your creative process." And I went, "It's a bloody art." It's a bloody art course. Why am I writing? Yeah. When you've got to show, you, you, you've got to show how you got to. And I was like, well, no, I don't want to do that. And I'm going to tell you, this was before I got diagnosed with autism. The teachers hated me because I got, no, I'm not doing that. I'll do it my, my way. No. <laughs> I got told by a tutor to stop doing art. And go and stack shelves in Tesco's. Right. But <laughs> I, the thing I, is, the thing is, <coughs> I think it never um, deteriorated me because I make stuff like that now. Wow. So I, and I've got stuff in galleries, and I, I, I think my creativeness is my superpower. Yeah. In the way that I can create things from my head. Not like people can do maths in their head. I can't do maths. But I can create things and get them onto paper. So it's just like, I think some people have that knack of like, just go, right, yeah, I can do this. But I'm, I love creating stuff and making stuff. That's my superpower. And that, that's what I think of it. Yeah. May I jump, jump? been on that and what you just said um is is actually a very powerful statement for people on the spectrum um art music creativity those are things that are um beyond i i can't even explain um i grew up um as a musician i was a professional musician later in you know um after school music came very naturally to me music i could i could pick up an instrument and i could learn it um i do that to this day i have this thing where i pick up an ukulele out of the blue just because it brings me peace to be able to sit there the thing is is that from from the perspective of a neurodivergent child i always tell people it's our job not to stifle their creativity but to actually foster it and find it because that creativity is what is going to lead them to their adult life and success you know that creativity doesn't necessarily mean they're going to become an artist or a musician but it means it's going to help them to be able to find the patterns in the things that they've yeah. found for that creativity to be able to continue on as an adult to become a, a a productive member of society as the neurotypical um standard would say right but um i'm going to go back to you sander um, you know, when you're asking about your grandkids, how can you, you know, how do you make sure that you're communicating optimally and you know, things like that with them as well. Give them coloring books and sit down and color with them. Give them puzzles and sit down and do puzzles with them. Give them little, you know, introductions to, you know, exactly, um, you know, introductory to, you know. Dry erase also. Oh, dry erase is huge, right? Um, musical instruments, you know. Um, things that foster their creativity and curiosity because showing a neurodivergent child that you are helping them 
to find their passion. That's the trigger they need to be able to, to know and learn that they do not have to hide who they are, that they do not have to learn how to mask and that they do not have to learn how to make people around them feel comfortable because that's where things like anxiety come into play, right? The more you have to fake who you are in order to make others comfortable means you are now learning how to have to feel comfortable around others. And that creates such anxiety inside of you that coming from a child and growing up with that, it's no wonder that our children are more medicated today in our Gen, Z, our Gen Zers than we ever were, right? Because that's what we're teaching them is to, here's another symptom, learn how to mask it, learn how to medicate it. Instead, if we foster their learning journey and foster their growth, um, you know, through creativity, that's the medication right there. Okay. Exactly, and I agree. In kindergarten, um, uh, they gave us the, you know, they pulled the, the, the out of the coloring book, you know, they would pull pages out of the coloring book and give us crayons and stuff. And, uh, of course, in the, the, the mind of the teacher, it's color learning to color inside minds. Um, and uh, most, uh, you know, at a certain age, most kids get it. But me, I was always the one that would go outside and do different colors outside of it, right? And, and it was kind of like you'd hear uh, the teacher say, well, I, to my mother, well, I don't think she gets it. She's supposed to color inside and stay inside the lines. And, and my, I remember hearing my mother just kind of say in a very nice way, no, she gets it when she gets it. I didn't know exactly what that meant at that time. I'm, I don't know. I think I was uh, six, you know, and uh, so they would put the kids uh, work up there. The ones that or were even asking a kid like what position their picture actually is, because sometimes parents will automatically assume like, oh, that's this. So just a second ago, my, when Brian was drawing something, I asked him, well, which way is the picture supposed to be? So he was like, well, it goes like this. Right. And then he flipped it because he also drew on the back. And he says, and it goes like this. So, again, you know, when we, the one thing that I think is interesting when I connected to Van is one of the big things that I was actually thinking about looking into is the ABA teaching. And some of the stuff that I've heard about ABA is actually the complete opposite of, um, what's the wrong, just the, um, what, what is the word I'm looking for? It's not facilitating their, their natural passions. It's actually stifling them. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do it like this. Do it like this. So, so like you were saying, when the coloring. In a brief definition of, of this, because I really don't know how long um, this, I'm just going to go until it cuts me off, because I really don't know how long it's going to be, you know. <laughs> and if it cuts me off, know that I love you all and everybody in the room. And my and it will be saved. Okay, I hope. Can, can I okay. say I I, I want to address somebody. Um, Emma um, was said something very poignant here um, in describing uh, her divergent. Her very last statement in her comment is they don't also uh, they also won't allow or won't follow orders just because they're told to. That's that's the coloring outside the lines, right? Perspective from a neurodivergent. Um, perspective. Perspective is different. 
we see perspective in a completely different way. You know, just because the lines are there isn't because we're supposed to color inside them. It's because there may be a guideline. Um, also, if you have neurodivergent children or grandchildren, you also know you can't tell them what to do because we, and I'm gonna say this collectively, I speak on behalf of all neurodivergent people right now, um, we will not be told what to do. Um, and that goes from childhood all the way through adulthood, right? But the other part of her, um, she said something else. Uh, hang on a second, people in the spectrum uh, sense a lot from their surroundings, yes. Um, neurodivergent people definitely sense a lot from their surroundings. This is something called, you know, that develops into what's called pattern recognition. That's the reason that neurodivergent adults are so good. When I tell a neurodivergent adult, trust your gut. I mean it because neurodivergent adults, we know very quickly. I know, like I said yesterday, I know in the first 30 seconds, whether or not I'm going to like you and trust you or not. And it's not because my gut instinct just senses this thing about you. It's because I've met 300 people like you over the course of my life. And of those 300 people, you've all demonstrated these patterns. Therefore, you're not a good person and I'm not going to like you. Or you're a great person. I'm going to like you. That's one of that. That's part of that superpower. That's part of the not coloring inside the lines you know we always look for you know to us everything is a shade of gray right there is no line in that coloring book there is no connect the dots it is just it is it is just a a, a canvas with some guidelines we will show you what our perspective is and that's part of fostering right of accepting that there is some there's always going to be some strong-willed um, children and instead of trying to fight them it's actually much easier to work with them to actually try to understand their perspective and where they're coming from and in so doing you're going to create a loving tender-hearted genius you know wonderful adult um who 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 isn't going to be in the position that people are today you know heavily medicated locked in the bedroom because their anxiety is so bad that they can't tolerate people right so. right true this is this is so very um one of my 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 granddaughters uh can she can climb anything and she can figure out how to climb it she can figure out what size chair and i don't know maybe she's about she started doing this when she was about two or three and she's about five now no she's four and um she can figure out which chair to use to get to where she wants to climb to and literally, I'm not kidding. She can climb blinds. She can climb uh, the, the the curtains. She can climb up on top of uh, the uh, the uh, the countertop, where there where there is nothing but just the countertop and the floor. And sometimes she can get there without. There won't be a chair there, and you kind of wonder how she got there. You know. Not to say it's a very, uh, it's not a dangerous thing to do because she can do it when you've le left the room or when you just thought you're, you're leaving the room and you're going to get something and then you, you come out and she's at the top of something. But telling her that it's wrong, um, I found it doesn't work. Telling her, you know, telling her, um, telling her, telling her that it's wrong doesn't work, but telling her that it concerns me, she will touch my face and go, okay. Yeah. Or, you know, she's empathic.
to how that made me feel, but not not caring whether it's right or wrong, or not caring whether she should do it again. She just knows in that moment that that made me feel scared or concerned or something, you know. So I'm learning how to work with that because with a quote unquote normal child, and I do the air quotes because I don't really like the word normal with any child, right? You have to meet the, the child where the child is at because that's just the way they see the world. So, but with, a, uh, with one who understands that you can tell them, um, I, I, I don't want you to do that again because you know, you might fall, hurt yourself, and then that will also upset me. You know, they'll understand all three aspects of that. But my granddaughter gets that she did something and she gets that she doesn't get the middle of it. Matter of fact, she probably at right now couldn't care less about the middle of it, but she cared about what she did because she did it. She embraced it and then she cared about how it made me feel. So me, I don't care about the middle part and I'm not going to stress her about the middle part. You know, that's kind of the way I feel about it. But for people who are, who are caring about the, that's going to be detrimental to the child. You've got to teach them that they can't climb that. You got to teach them, you know, until, until they show you that they're in that, that space of the middle part of it, you just wait until they are. Will they ever get there? No, because they will figure the top out and the bottom out and that's all that matters to them yeah well you can't you can't teach them that you know by saying you can't climb that you have to tell them things like well you're gonna climb it um and you could hurt yourself and you could fall down and then it has to be one of those do you remember when you fell down and hurt yourself right we learn from consequences of doing not consequences of hypotheticals and as a child on that spectrum um it's much more difficult i can remember being a child and being told things like that from you know by my parents i don't know why i can remember back that far but there are a lot of poignant uh, a lot of specific points in time that i can actually remember and i remember what i was thinking it's like ah you don't know because in front of you is a problem and in front of you, you need to figure out the solution. In order for me to climb that, I have to take that chair and move it over there. When I get there, I can get on that chair onto the countertop. And from the countertop, I can get to the refrigerator. Well, that's not a problem that anybody created. That's a problem that they saw, right? So climbing, Emma was commenting the same thing. Yeah. You know, their child and your, you know, your grandchild wants to climb and get up on, on countertop refrigerators. Well, you're, you could tell them until they're blue in the face, don't do that. And they will always look for the you know optimal time to do that. Right. And they're not doing it to be defiant, even though it seems like it's an act of defiance. It's not. The thing is, is that if you don't want them to do that, the corrective behavior is not to say don't do it because now they're going to do it harder and they're going to do it faster. The correct behavior modification here is to unfortunately, you're going to have to let them unfortunately you're going to have to let them hurt themselves that's what we do that's how we learned is by by doing it i didn't know my mom's electric stove was hot and could burn my fingers until i found out and you know what i never did again i never put my fingers on the electric stove right <laughs> that's that's not an act of defiance 
part of being neurodivergent and for children is problem solving is seen differently for neurodivergent people. Problem solving is seen, is taken as a challenge. I must do it. And the moment you tell a neurodivergent person, whether it's an adult or child, that you can't do that, you just issued a challenge. And the challenge to us is you damn right, I, I can do it and I'm gonna show you, right? Yeah. And we'll figure out a way. <laughs> can I interject yeah. here for just two seconds? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with, all, yes, all of those things. And also, we disagree and we will take things as challenges if we see that there's no reason why we shouldn't do it in the first place. Yeah. Or I give my children choices. I give them choices that either way they're, I'm going to be okay with. Even when they're deciding that they're going to try to challenge my authority or it's seen as challenging my authority. It's like, well, you could do this or you can do this. Right. This most likely is going to not be an outcome you like. And it's also, as I refer to and with my kids, pause for the cause, you know, not only because pause for the cause that they're, you know, running a thousand miles a minute, but also to let them have their brain back. Because, like, sometimes I feel like it's like, it's like for me, when I am getting into a tough situation, it's almost like I have my brain kind of like floats off for a minute while I'm trying to analyze the situation. So it looks like I'm just checked out and I'm not paying attention to somebody. But as soon as, you know, I hear the responses that I need, as like Sandra was pointing out, the first part and the last part, the middle kind of gets muddled after a certain point because our brains think so fast. Right. So like, for instance, if I was accused of lying to somebody, I can say, okay, I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry about that. But when I came to the experience, I didn't do anything wrong there was miscommunications and I probably should have said something about, you know, the situation, but if my, in my brain, if there's nothing that I did wrong, then there's nothing I want to apologize for. Right. If that makes sense. No, no, that makes, that makes really, that makes sense because here it goes back to, uh, of course, and I've been reading about, you know, perception. It's about what we say, what we transmit out to somebody and what they receive are two do totally different things. Yes. And how receive it. Now, are we responsible how, for how they receive it? No. Are we responsible for how we said it? Yes, because we said it. We said it in exactly the way we wanted to say it. Is it right or is it wrong? No, it's not right or if, it, if it's wrong. But an act of actively listening will say to a person who received it in a certain way, well, oh, Ray, I heard you say X, Y, and Z. And Ray will say, no, I said X, comma, Y, comma, Z, period. And then they'll go, oh, okay. You know, now you have a, 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 a conversation going on. And, and I think that when I have uh, the conversation with my, uh, seven-year-old he's eight now um it used to be we would have we would struggle with the conversation because i couldn't get him from looking at the video screen or looking at the tv or looking and it would be he would he literally would say things to me repeat them back because he's actively listening to me but i was so caught caught up on can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Oh, I was so caught up on the fact that he wasn't looking at me because I grew up in a household that the children had to look at the adult and talking to you. 
otherwise they don't think you were listening to them or otherwise they don't think you got it right but i didn't know he was doing that here this is what i go and i used to teach uh people in my in the corporation that i worked in is that how to actively listen there's a kid that's doing it and I'm not seeing him do it because I'm I'm going you're not listening to me because you're not looking at me right it's like right now we know Peter hears everything we're saying but he's looking down doing his project and that's how he's taking in all the information it works for him yeah. when right I also also I think I I'm a bit of a people watcher. I like to watch people, but sometimes I don't like to watch people. So if I'm doing something, it's my way of taking in the information. I know, I know you all well and comfortable enough to do that because I know you. But if it's right. someone I don't know, I'm very guarded, and I'm well yeah. Laying them up in the head, and I'm going. I'm a bit like Van. Well, I I've seen you. I've seen this pattern before. But I what I tend to do is watch how they interact with other people. So if their interactions are like something that triggers me, then before they interact, I know I don't have to be around them. So I can watch how they are with other people. Right. And sometimes I go with, I always go with my gut or a little voice to me as I say, watch him or watch her. And 10 out of, my, my mate said, my mate used to say, how do you know when someone's a dickhead? I go, I just know, I just know, I watch. And they go, you know what, you're, you're, you're spot on, but the way you do it, it's scary. And they always use, used to ask me about boyfriends because most most of my friends are girls and they go to me well what do you think of him and i go get, get rid and you go why i went i just don't like what you're explaining to me i had to get rid of him i kick him to the cave and so they come back a week later and go you know what you were right there he was a right not that <laughs> you're like oh god I told you and it, but it's i think now finding out about being autistic i realized i was picking up on other other people's behaviors and how they were interacting with people and how they were talking to people and it was like oh right yeah a bit like what you said before i agree with what what Ben said it was just like you know you've seen them patterns so many times so you keep it stored in your head that if you see that pattern again walk away and i think that's what i've started doing now seeing patterns and i say to people i see patterns better than actual just and they go well how do you do it i can see patterns in people's behaviors that people don't see so i can go right i've seen that like four times five times you've done it to me that many times i understand it now but with that sometimes you can judge people wrongly as well and that's the but that's the bit where i i i'm still learning on that little bit but all in all i think being autistic is brilliant 
in the way that we can communicate and also we can communicate with other autistic people and not worry about explaining ourselves because that's what i've found quite a lot when i've been going through when i'm on my autistic journey as i like to call it i see things and i have to explain to people oh i'm autistic so if i do this i'm open with it i'm very open with it i don't care what people think about me or what what the what they're gonna say and it doesn't really bother me but the one thing i hate and i hate this and you should do a whole podcast on what not to say to autistic people because that one i always get oh well you don't look autistic and i'm going well i say to you this so this is my response i go well what do you want me to fucking do wave a flag around me fucking it and you want to see the look on the face when i do that you go you can see you can read them right away oh shit i shouldn't have said that <laughs> but like i add humor to it but sometimes that can be annoying yeah we need to we yeah we it's the same thing with people who are depressed or who are bipolar or you know and they tell us all the things not to say but they really don't help explain the things that you you they tell us the things not to say but the things not to say aren't really the things that shouldn't be said i believe that we have to learn tell us how to have a conversation because yes about the things that you should not say it's about the things that you need to say as a conversational piece to to uh, have them understand you and you understand them and here's my thing is if we if we I, and Peter, I understand that you like understanding the label because you, it helps you to understand yourself better. I understand that. But I think about it like this. I think autistic, whether you're autistic, whether you're ADHD or any of them, bipolar or whatnot, you're, 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 you are already on your spiritual journey. You are so close to it. Yeah. You are into it. It's what people have to get to, to get to their spiritual journey. It happens naturally for us, for, for, for people that we call uh, neurodivergence or we call them artistic or what, whatever. They're already tuned in and jacked in to their authentic self. The yeah. thing, it's hard, for, it's hard for other people who aren't tuned in and jacked into that to, to understand it. So they're so they're considered to be the problem do you know what i mean yeah and, and i think i think what it i think what it is on that as well is that like i might use a different way of this you know like i am not clued up on racism as such because i'm a white person and I'm, I'm using this, maybe this is the wrong context in what I'm thinking. But if I want to find out something, I will ask questions to a person of colour or whatever. And I think what it is, is we're scared to have conversations where we're asking questions where they're awkward questions. Yeah. And we're scared to ask them awkward questions because 
you will you don't know you're like saying oh i shouldn't say this i shouldn't say that but you should within within reason but we might might have awkward conversations about disabilities about because i think sometimes that awkwardness can bring something out yeah. can bring uh, my She's, my granddaughter is uh, slightly lighter than me. She's, uh, I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but she took my skin and she was pointing at my skin because she put her arm up to me and she, you know, she was pointing at her skin and pointing at my skin. Okay, this is the one who uh, uh, doesn't speak right now. Or she speaks, but she speaks a different way. So she was asking me about the difference, you know, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just said to and her, also like certain societal norms and social cues in different culture backgrounds are also completely different. And then when you're on when you're neurodivergent and you always have to explain yourself, now it's an extra layer of trying to explain yourself because you want to make sure that you're using the proper terminology for that identification, that um, gender preference, that particular pronoun. It just compounds. It, yeah, and especially, you know, the youngest, she's like two going on three. So she's not going to understand that in-depth, you know, what, what not. So I just told her, this is me, and I pointed to myself, and that was her. I pointed to her and pointed to herself, and I just looked and said, okay, because she knows the word okay. And I said, it's okay. And and she just before she touches my face again that's her way of saying i understand or i love you she gets it and we're done you know but yeah i think i don't know i could be wrong because here we go again every autistic person is not the same every everything one size does not fit at all what fits for peter does not fit for ray what fits for, for ray does not fit for you and and if I am, which I do think I have bits and pieces of it, what's going to fit for me isn't isn't going to what didn't fit for my sister or my brother or whatnot. I was me, and we have to have to understand that. Um, uh, what did she say? Gotta fly. Oh, welcome. Thank you so much. I actually I'm about to uh, uh, get off, but you know. So I thank you, Van, for being here. And, and adding to this wonderful uh, collective of conversation. And I do welcome you back. I, I have a podcast called Soul Conversations with Sandra. I do podcasts on Friday, and I would love for you to be a guest so that we can just deep dive, so that we can do, do uh, you know, an hour and a half straight of, of deep diving. And you're welcome to invite Ray and, and Peter back as your guest there but i want to have you as mine so i have oh, i would love to you know i have a few slots open in august and um hold on a second i want to do one thing nope i'm already following you so i will dm you with uh, a date and see if we can see if we can work it out right so is in you know one minute or less is there anything that each of you want to say because I really don't want this to cut you off. <laughs> so first, Ray? Um, 
just, you know, I'm honored and, and blessed to connect to the people that I have. Um, I wish everybody light, love, and abundance in all of its forms. Um, if anyone is watching this as a replay, remember, be kind to yourself and be kind to others, because last time I checked, it's plus and three. Love you guys, and uh, I'll catch you later. All right, Sam. Yeah. I, I'm going to echo what Ray said uh, to save time, um, 100%. Thank you for bringing me up. This was a lot of fun, and I'm, uh, I love the synchronicities of all this to just to happen to have met you all, and, and um, I believe in those a lot. So this was wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Peter? And just stay positive and keep going with whatever you're doing. That's all, that's all I can think of right now. <laughs> and I think... Thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of these guests that have just just took a chance and came on live and had a wonderful conversation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I closed this reading room, reading and conversation room with 10845. And what do you say, Ray? Uh, the opposite, and I can't think of the numbers. Four, it starts with a five. What was it? Five, eight, four, zero, one. There you go. There you go. And um, I thank you. Um, any energy that you do resonate with, leave it in the room. Source will uh, take it. Source will alchemize it. Source will take that energy and put it back into the universe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The energy that you do have, the love, unconditional love, the joy, the peace, the wisdom, the understanding is on that energy. Take that energy and put it out into the universe. Be the magnificent creator you are. Create, create, create. I am loving you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye, all.